Welcome to Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you'll hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources. I'm your host, Marilyn Germain. This is an episode of the series, It's Personal. The goal of It's Personal is to get to know the HR or HRD person behind the published books and research articles. Our guest today is Dr. Jason Motes, Associate Division Director for the Emergency Services Training Institute, Texas A&M Engineering Extension Service. His research focuses on a variety of topics involving training and development, technology acceptance, crisis management, but also the work of scholar practitioners. Welcome, Jason. Howdy. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to uh, spending some time with you today. Let's start with a question about your childhood. Where did you grow up? So I was born in Louisville, Kentucky. So I claim Kentucky as my home state, although uh, I grew up in southern Indiana for my first six or seven years uh, just across the river from Louisville. And then uh, in the mid-70s, uh, my folks moved to a little town called Hayesville, which is located in southwestern Indiana, about halfway between Louisville and Evansville. So uh, I grew up there and uh, kind of felt like young Abe Lincoln. I went to southwestern Indiana from the time I was about seven until the time I was 21. And then after that, I uh, moved to Kentucky for a little bit and then went uh, into the military where I was uh, ended up in different places, including North Carolina, Florida, and California. How did your parents or your guardians influence who you have become? I was lucky enough uh, when I was really young to have both sets of grandparents, um, my mom's mom and dad, my dad's mom and dad, and we all kind of lived fairly close to each other. And uh, right after we moved, uh, my uh, my dad's dad uh, passed away from uh, heart disease and probably cancer, although we didn't know at the time. But my mom's mother and father moved uh, with us, and they were in my life the entire time. I'm, I'm also fortunate in that I had both my mom and dad with me, and, and they're still with us today, uh, although we live about uh, 1,100 miles from each other. Mom and dad and my grandparents have been so important in shaping who I am as a person. One of the things that we'll talk about, I'm sure, at some point is that I have spent a good portion of my uh, professional life in emergency response. And so that uh, community work, that giving back, that helping, all came from my parents and my grandparents. My dad and my granddads, both, uh, all three, were craftsmen. And so being able to build and create has always been part of my makeup. And so I owe that all uh, to my folks who, uh, you know, instilled in me the importance of a work ethic and uh, love for what you do and helping others. So in 2017, you fought and, and won a battle over lung cancer. I imagine this was a, a time for self-reflection. And so can you share some of the thoughts you had when you were uh, diagnosed? I'm probably one of the oddballs uh, when I say this, but from the time I was diagnosed on January the 6th of 2017 until 
I had surgery on May the 17th, then a long, a fairly long recuperation from it all. But it was one of the most cathartic experiences in my life for many reasons. I can't tell you in good terms how educational it was to now be in charge of my own health care, but also having to rely on people to drive me to the doctor, to take care of me, to bring me the trash can when you had to throw up or take me to all these things that you do when, you, when you're diagnosed with cancer and, and when you're going through treatment. What was most humbling was the way that four communities wrapped around me. Of course, my family, I, I shouldn't say it as nonchalant as, as I have, but it, they were there and, and my kids really stepped up at the time. My son was on active duty in the Navy, uh, floating around the Arabian Sea while my uh, oldest uh, female child was a sophomore in college or I'm sorry, a freshman in college. I had another one that was getting ready to graduate and another one that was a junior in high school. The kids stepped up in ways to help my wife, who was really troubled, not just because it was me, but because it brought memories of her own mother uh, who passed away from cancer. So I was humbled by that. But I was also humbled by my work family who rallied around me and showered me in love and provided me with levels of grace that I certainly didn't deserve. And then my Chairs Professional Association, the Academy of Human Resource Development, you know this, Marie, I was, uh, I was the chair of our conference uh, that was taking place in San Antonio. And we are in the final stages of planning the conference, which takes place in mid-February. And I find out in the 1st of January that I was diagnosed with cancer. And everybody rallied around me uh, and, and, in fact, took some work away from me, which, uh, again, was amazing. But at the same time, created some challenges that we had an opportunity to work through and, and talk about. So when you ask about you know, how, how reflective I was. It was a life-changing event in so many positive ways that it outweighed the pain and the suffering that happened through the uh, cancer and the treatments and the recovery from surgery. Are you fully recovered now? As fully recovered as anybody with cancer is. The interesting thing about this is once you've had one cancer, there's a likelihood that you'll have another. And so I have been released. I'm, I'm down to yearly appointments with my doctor and we do a lot of high-fiving and everything else. It's kind of scary though right now in COVID because I had lung cancer. And in fact, the surgery I had, they removed one of my lungs. And with COVID, it doesn't do your lungs any favors if you get it. So I've spent uh, quite a bit of time working from home and working in isolation from anybody but my immediate family. So am I recovered? As a recovered as one can be from cancer, uh, I don't have any cancer right now, at least as affected my last scan. But there's always that nagging uh, concern that, hmm, this could pop up again, or maybe it'll be a different kind, or, and it may be a little more painful. 
Are you anxious by nature? And if so, how are you dealing with that uncertainty? No, I'm not anxious by nature, but it is a concern. And it's not so much a concern for me as to what it does to the people around me. I don't want to be a big deal for folks, you know? And so it's not something that keeps me awake at night, but it is something that I do what I can to make sure that I don't do anything uh, that would invoke cancer. So I wear a face mask um, when I'm working in wood and when I'm working around chemicals in situations where I might have said, you know, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. I'm a little more cautious now because there's a lot more writing on it than just me. How many years have you been married to your wife? 28. Uh, we got married in 1993. So there's some importance to the dates here. Uh, we got married on January the 2nd of 1993. Uh, her birthday is January the 5th. My diagnosis of cancer was January the 6th. And then, as I said, I had surgery on May 17th. So for my 47th birthday, I gave myself the gift of surgery. But uh, to answer your question, sorry, it's been 28 uh, wonderful years. I'm sure your wife will be pleased to know that you'll remember the number of years listening to this podcast, right? How do you continue to make it work? It's not easy. There are things that, uh, that we both struggle with. There are things we disagree on, but at the end of the day, when we got married, we took on a promise to each other, and it's a little tongue-in-cheek, and I'm a, in today's environment, I'm afraid to say it, but we both vowed to each other, death before divorce. I came from a family where divorce, the closest divorce to me was my uh, paternal grandfather who divorced and then remarried and was in a a long marriage of over, you know, 50 years. My great grandmother on my mom's side had been divorced and never remarried. My mom and dad were together uh, and still are, and they're going on, oh my goodness, 56 years. And so I haven't really understood divorce and understood that being in relationships is a challenge from time to time. My wife didn't come from that, uh, background and her parents had divorced, but then they remarried. And so uh, she got to see her parents together uh, in her teenage years until her mother passed away when she was about 19. And so we understood that a committed relationship was going to take a lot of work and our work ethic is pretty strong. And so just being committed to that is what's kept us together. Do you have any life regrets so far? I wouldn't call them regrets. There are things I certainly could have done better. There have been a lot of things, you know, that over the years I went, boy, that was pretty stupid. But something that I just wish had never happened, none really come to mind. Life's a challenge. And so I've taken the opportunity to do whatever I can, that when I encounter those moments, that I learn from them. I look at them, at them and say, well, this didn't happen to me, but they happen for some reason. Uh, maybe it's a divine purpose, but 
there's always something that you can learn from that and ensure that you don't just live life observing lessons, but you live life learning lessons. Do you have any religious beliefs? It probably won't shock you to know that I used to be a uh, student minister. I was uh, going to seminary in the mid-90s to be a uh, minister in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, uh, which is uh, the denomination that wasn't. Uh, but it, I spent uh, three and a half years doing that, and for a multitude of reasons, decided that parish ministry was not for me or my family. Uh, and I could do other things and still work for God and still help others. So I did it. Jason, you have four children. What have your children taught you? <laughs> well, boy, there's a lot there. Uh, there's so much. You know, one of the things that uh, it, I had a lot of fun with our kids when they were younger when my kids were, my oldest was uh, in his teens, was when I was working on my PhD and my, uh, and my master's as he was starting to go into middle school. So he got to watch a lot of that, as did my daughters who uh, were growing up, and they were a little bit younger watching this. And they would tell you that, you know, they, they observed me and saw my love of learning and things like that. But what I really got from them was, uh, you know, it's okay to take some time out and to maximize the times that we have together and to be able to spend that time together doing things. And, and those, sometimes it's the little things that count, you know, that trip to uh, the supermarket when dad acts crazy or, you know, when we went to the zoo and saw the giraffe and things like that. What I'm fond of saying this is that I have really enjoyed meeting my adult children as opposed to the teenagers, because the teenage years were rough for a couple of them. We went through issues of uh, self-harm, and we went through issues of drug use, and we went through issues of self-discovery that, that I hope I get to talk about at some point. Um, that were really foreign to me. My kids have grown up in a time where we have been, with the exception of my son, they have not really been able to know anything other than a time when the United States has been at war. And dad was part of that. And their brother was part of that. Now, the, I say that when I also say that my oldest daughter was born in 97. So, when the U.S. went to war in 2001, she was four years old. So she really didn't quite grasp it, but she knew something was bad on 9-11, as did my three-year-old and as did my two-year-old. When dad had to work long nights because he was helping with the state of Kentucky manage the response to September 11th and the things that were going on all over the country. So what have I learned from my kids? I'm not sure we have enough time to get into that, but I've learned one to breathe, to not to underestimate these kids, and three, that when you put love in front of everything, nothing can get you down. 
two of your children identify as gender fluid and non-binary. As a parent, how did you experience their coming out? They both came out very, very differently. And the latter, the younger one, was more difficult for me to deal with than the older one. And the reason is that, again, they came out, one came out at about 11 or 12. That was my older child uh, that's out. And then my younger uh, came out at about 13 or 14. And so there was about three or four years between one coming out to the next. When Mick came out, it was very upfront. Uh, Mick is a, a lot like me and very, you know, walks into a room and at five foot two with uh, flaming red hair, just sucks all the air out of the room. Very, very broad personality. And so when Mick came out, came in and said, you need to know to my wife and I both and said, you need to know that I'm asexual. And so being the, the jokester I was, I said, well, you're an earthworm because I didn't know what asexual was. I'd only heard that earthworms were asexual. So we went through this and that child educated us in a very caring and, and quite humorous way about asexuality, aromantics. Then we got to watch how Mick grew and grew and grew. What was most remarkable about that uh, whole process for us and, and Mick's coming out was that Mick was so well informed about this and knew who at the time she was and knew how this would work and what she needed from us. As Mick has grown and learned more about herself and things like that, you know, she has uh, now, they'll get mad at me for, for gendering her, uh, them. And I'm still working on this, even after so many years. They are, one, in a very loving relationship, expecting a child uh, in December. So I'll have my second grandchild, but understands who they are with a passion and to the point that of advocacy. Uh, Mick is, among other things, a playwright, an improv performer, a uh, dramaturg, and also a school teacher. And so in all of those roles, has a strong passion and belief of equity and justice, regardless of race, creed, orientation, or anything else. And on top of that, doesn't suffer fools. And so it is quite wonderful to see that and, and knowing that we were there when that happened. With my second child that came out, it was much more reserved, which is in line with uh, Mac's personality. And is Mac is still uh, working through what they mean and, and who they are and, and how this, this all works. And we're supportive. And at the end of the day, just like we did with Mick, we sit back and we support where we can and how we can. We ask questions to help guide, but also to learn. And 
do whatever we can to be supportive and loving parents, albeit imperfect and often not well-informed and almost always filled with mistakes. So yeah, it's, it's a learning process for us and we continue to learn every day about how all this goes together. Speaking of imperfection, what are your worst qualities, Jason? I'm not the communicator I think that I am. Being clear, concise, and to the point is not in my DNA. And I really struggle a lot uh, with being as patient and being the kind of person that I want to be. I want to be that loving, caring, always patient, always kind person that says the right thing at the right time. And unfortunately, I'm not. Frankly, I, I struggle with that often. There are so many things that I do want to continue that I, well, and I continue working on it. So yeah, I'll leave it there. You now work in emergency response. Is that your dream job? I did this, uh, whether it was as a volunteer or whether I got paid for it or whether I was in the military for many, many years. In 2001, well, in 2000, I had the opportunity to take what I knew and teach and get paid for it. I had taught with my mom and, and things like that way before, but I, I was going to get paid uh, to do that. And so I, that's when I went to work for the state of Kentucky. And then in 2002, I got offered an opportunity to come to Texas A&M and the fire school that belongs to the Texas A&M Engineering Extension Service. At fire school, it's, it's hard to really explain what this place looks like, but it's 300 acres that we often refer to as Disneyland for firefighters. And what that does for us is it provides a training ground where we can simulate fires in a controlled environment that give people really an opportunity to experience what firefighting is like the same way with structural rescue, the same way with law enforcement operations, and the same way with emergency medical services operations. Coming here was my dream job, to be able to give back to the community that I had been a part of for so many years and continue to take the knowledge I had and share that. And so, yeah, that's been my dream job and I've been living it for almost 20 years now. And I've been able to advance through the organization and do things and expand the way in which people, which we understand that people learn. And so, uh, yeah, so that's been my dream job. Do you have any pet peeves? Oh, yeah. I can't tolerate liars. I can't tolerate people who willfully deceive for the purpose of their own uh, promotion. I really get frustrated by people who don't, take the time to check their facts, who don't take the time to learn. They just kind of guess. And I mean, you can make a life at guessing and, and be right most of the time, but um, sometimes people do a lot of damage by just making stuff up. And so that hurts. When people hurt other people, that is a real pet peeve of mine. How would you like to be remembered? As a dad, as a granddad, as a theater guy, you know, somebody that loves the arts, uh, that loved music 
and somebody that cared about other people. In the next segment of this podcast, I'm going to ask you some short questions that only require short answers. Are you ready? So you realize short answers are not really in my game. I will do my best, though. Fire away. I'm ready. Let's give it a shot. Coke or Pepsi? Neither. I haven't had a soft drink in four years. Before four years? Oh, it would have been Coke. Have you ever taken antidepressant medication? I have. Post or pre-cancer? Pre. Elton John or Madonna? Elton John, without a doubt. Have you seen him in concert? I have not. My wife has. Have you ever had a manicure? I have not. Why not? For many reasons, but mostly because I'm too cheap to get one for myself. What's your favorite food? So my mom's fried rice and Swedish meatballs. I'm sorry, Polynesian meatballs. Fried rice and Polynesian meatballs made by my mom. From one to 10, how happy are you today? I'm about 8.5. Any questions you wish I had asked you but didn't? You know, no. I mean, there are, we could talk for a long, long time about a lot of stuff. But, you know, these are, are really great questions that not a lot of people have ever asked. I'm so used to telling my story and uh, for different purposes, you know, one, for being inspirational to others, for being explanational for many. And uh, so kind of shooting different pieces of this uh, in the way that you've done have been, uh, have been real fun uh, to go through. So, no, I think you, this really hits it. Thank you for agreeing to participate in its personal podcast series, Jason. I hope it was as much fun for you as it was for me. Well, thanks for having me on. It certainly was. And uh, I look forward to, uh, to hearing some of the others on here now. So thanks for the opportunity to uh, spend some time with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you will hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources.